Oh, and no, I, I chuckle at the idea that an event shouldn't be commercial, you know, you've just, it's like anything, it doesn't succeed unless uh, unless it's able to pay its way, really. So, um, yeah, well, we, we got quite criticised over, you know, the fact that we went down the commercial line with the event, and it was the only option we had if we were going to realise the vision for it. So, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, and people's mindset that you should just give your time to um, to events. Kia ora everyone, that was Tim Day. I'm Matt Raymond. I'm Eugene Bingham. And this is Dirt Church Radio. Interesting conversations with interesting runners. Dirt Church Radio. Episode 63. We made it. We made it. We did, we did. Um, Look, our guest on the show this week... Tim Day. Yeah. He's, he's a bit of a mythical figure to me. He's like hunting, fishing, shooting kind of guy. Yeah. And I've. Hunting, ne- that's Dr. Tim Day to you. He's Dr. Dr. Tim Day. PhD. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, man in the mountains kind of figure to me, you know, this mythical beast of the wild. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I mean, I've met him, but I haven't really had a proper conversation to him. He's always been a bit sort of, um, yeah, mythical and sort of daunting to me and yeah. so i was gutted to miss this conversation yeah i was gutted that you weren't there really too gutted. and but someone you did such a bloody good job oh, thank you very much it was such a good conversation really, um, really good chat you can you, you're only as good as the subject matter you've got and tim day i mean he's yeah he, for those of you who don't know he's the race director of the uh total winner ultra marathon uh and quite the athlete himself mm. um i first met but tim, not a not a he no, doesn't want to be he doesn't want to be seen as a competitor does no he? No, he just loves being out in the yeah. out in the wild. But yeah. top cricketer um, and did other sports. Yeah, and and yeah, it's just I mean, there's so much part of the running community, especially now via Tarawera. So. And speaks to the fact that he is, you know, he does shy away from the spotlight. Uh, his mate Paul Chartres was the first guest ever mm. on Do Church, and it's taken us a wee bit to kind of nail him down. Later, we can get him on. But you know, my bloody work got in the way yeah. of me being able to have be part of that chat and my work is causing us to have to do things a little bit differently for the next couple of weeks yeah. this week and we're recording a couple of episodes early um so we can keep bringing you these conversations because the alternative was you know to not to not so we, we thought we'd rather just record them get them out you know and get them available to you so you know we're lucky to have these conversations with people we you know we want to keep bringing them to you so here we are. Yeah, ne- but it does mean that there's no, we're not going to be seen as newsy and because we're pre-recording, we're, we're pre-recording these and we're gonna we're gonna bang them out because uh, Eugene's going to film um, Great Beards of North America, Volume Two. Is actually it's actually that, that Discovery uh, Channel, isn't it? Well, it's you know that pilot, the pilot that you did, yeah, mm, helpful yeah. men with beards. They they do want to do a, another, um, they want to have another look, another chat about it. Great, you better get growing your beard. Yeah, no, yeah, you know I want you to be part of the show. That's true. <laughs> But so for the anyway, next couple of weeks, yeah. Eugene's away with work, and uh, so yeah. But we've got Tim Day. But I won't week. be. It'll be weird because it'll be here. But I won't be. But anyway, it, it does. You know, it does mean that we can't. You know, I see there are a couple of excellent races coming up over the next couple of weeks, including the Great 
barrier island wharf to wharf, which has been the subject of a greatest run ever, uh, the Mount Cook Marathon. And really excitingly, you know, I'm looking forward to Stewart Island's greatest. Yeah, that looks amazing. What's it like? The Kudia Challenge trial run from Horseshoe Bay to Oban, Stewart Island. Mm. Wow, Saturday 5th of October. In the National Park. So Doc has given, or Department of Conservation for... As if you don't know, he's granted a concession for 250 runners to compete in the run. 33.7 kilometre course. 200 metres of elevation going, I would have thought it would be more than that. Yeah. But anyway, there you go. But it'll be, it'll be beautiful. Oh, it'll, it'll be, be, it'll be so, Kiwi, yeah. you know, running across the track. Great white sharks. Great white sharks sort of gnashing at your feet. It, for those of you who aren't from New Zealand, Stewart Island is the bit, the very, not the, not the South Island, that is the bit down the bottom, but the bit underneath the South Island. Mm. It's Stewart Island. And it's rugged and wild and remote, and I'm so bloody jealous that people will be out there running a trial yep. race over there. So good luck to you if you are doing that, and make sure you send us a greatest run ever from there uh, if you do. So last week we had Fiona Hayweiss on the show. Yep. Yeah, and part of what she talked about was was raising money to get to the World 24-Hour Champs. She's got that movie event coming up, uh, Ride Like a Girl. Yeah. Yeah, which I want to go and see. Anyway, that's all to help who raised money to get to France because when you get selected to run for New Zealand you've got to fundraise it yourself you've got to fundraise not yourself not like your Brody or Sam or any of the people on a yacht no, it's a boat isn't it who? they're not the Team New Zealand they're not uh, they're not yeah. baking cookies they're not putting on movie nights they're uh. not doing anything look it, 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 it's terrible and and Part of it, you know, you think... But oh, it is what it is, and none of the athletes complain, Arr! do they? But I'm complaining. You complain on their behalf. So, But we just wanted to mention another couple of athletes representing New Zealand who are doing fundraisers as well. Dawn Tuffery, who's... Show number four? She's a good bugger. Show number five. Show number show four. Five. Friend of the show. Yep. She's a teammate of Fiona's in the 24-hour team, and she's having a fun run in Hamilton on October 13. Entries by Koha, which is a donation, uh, amount of your choice to her fundraising page at Give a Little. Uh, you know, so... She's, as she says, you know, World Champs is an exciting opportunity, but it's fully self-funded, so yeah. any contributions appreciated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Andy Good, who mm. is the New Zealand Mountain Running Championship champion, yep. is uh, having to fundraise to get uh, to Argentina to for the World, World Mountain Running Champs, mm. um, and he is uh, not asking for handouts, but he's managed to get some things together. Uh, his his Kepler entry. Yep. So he's raffling that off. Yeah, he's, he's got a bunch of giveaways. He's got uh, some ice cream, some tailwind. He's got a lot of ice cream. Do you, think you could have ice cream and tailwind. I reckon you could. Yeah, tailwind flavored ice cream. Anyway, uh, and also he's giving away some of his own time. Yeah, because he's a chippy, eh? Yeah, he's giving away, I can't remember how many hours, but some, some handyman hours. For those of you not from New Zealand, he's a carpenter. <laughs> Chippy, yeah. People were looking at looking at me, like googling. So what all is chippy? of those, all of those. If you Google what is chippy, what do you know? Anyway, You'd get either a chip shop or a carpenter. Um, right. He's a carpenter. He's a he's a he's a very skilled carpenter. So, what you need to do is um, anything that you can give, please, because this isn't the rank and file. This is the people who are the best of the best going to represent this country. They're all wearing the silver fern, and anything that you can do to help would be greatly appreciated than anything we can do to help. So we'll, we'll, we'll put, put those links on our show notes. Yeah. Mm. All right. So rather than sort of pretend that we can tell you what's been going on over the weekend, which would be weird because the weekend even hasn't happened yet, you know, we're just going to go strump, jump. We're going to actually try and string a sentence together. Yeah. 
which is the part of the show where we ask you to write in and tell us about your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit. It might just be a run around the block, something that's sung to you for some reason. Send it in to us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com or via our social media, which is dirtchurchradio. And this is Liz Macavicius. Sorry if I've butchered your last name, Liz. But she writes in, she says, My greatest run ever, or at least the one that sticks in my mind the most clearly, was on the first day of an epic six-day adventure race in Colorado in September 2018. Full stop. She could pretty much stop there. But she goes on. A year or so earlier, I'd been on on a bit of a whim, airline sailor emails clearly to blame. I'd booked a trip to the US, figuring I'd find something similar to the Tanawaha trial camp I'd done with Sally McRae in the year before. A quick Google search pointed me to the direction of Ricky Gates' Hut Run Hut, 100 miles across the Continental Divide in Colorado, prioritizing fun over fast running between the 10th Mountain Division huts with some serious altitude. As Ricky says, if you believe that you can run 100 miles through the Rockies, then I do too. I was signed up. My coach got to work planning how to approach training for this multi-day adventure. I spent months training, seeking out altitude training, upping my strength training, and backing up Sunday 50k races with Monday runs. I was pretty scared of the combination of altitude, climbing, and six days. Spending a few days in Denver, I realized this was going to be every part of the challenge I thought it would be. The drive to Aspen was spectacular, mountains rising in and the air thinning. We gathered bright and early in central Aspen, the mountains and set... Central Aspen, the mountains, and set off. Running through town, bundles of nervous energy, we left the concrete, which we wouldn't see again save for a single road crossing on day five till Red Cliffs a week later. The first trails were green and lovely, a favourite with local dog walkers. Then they asked where we were going and we said Red Cliffs. They took a moment to realise that this wasn't a casual amble. Soon the other trail users thinned out and we were on our own. The trail climbed and the group spread out a little. We were in dense forests, seemingly miles from anywhere when the snow... Slow, gradual climb reached a small peak and we started the descent, floating easily, it was the first day after all, over the rocks and tree roots. I shortly realised it was Ricky behind me, holding up the back of the pack. We got chatting, him expressing a bit of surprise someone would travel all the way from Australia to go on this camp, and me trying not to be a bit starstruck by this trail-running royalty I was sharing the single track with. The rolling downhill went on, the flora becoming greener, and the conversation continued for a good half hour. All the training had paid off, the boring solo weight sessions were worth it, and the months of slight nervousness were all behind me. Any trepidation I felt about the challenge ahead had disappeared, as I realised I was capable of getting through this by taking one step at a time. All I had to do was keep moving, and appreciate the opportunity to be in such a beautiful place surrounded by interesting people. Suddenly, we reached the flat, and caught up to the rest of the group. I was a bit overwhelmed. Not up to sharing my light bulb moment with a few friends just yet, but also pleased that I'd gotten myself into a mindset that it was about enjoyment and appreciation. One of my greatest runs ever. So, I want to call Liz on this. Mountain lines. Is it one of your greatest runs ever or your greatest run I think ever? it's the greatest run ever. I, well, she says one off. Well, we it's the one again. that she's identified as her greatest run ever. You're going to let it go? Yeah, let's let it go. It is a goodie. It is. It is a goodie. I mean, having Ricky Gates... On your on your tail. That's right. That's you know. I I think that that would be one of the things that would actually would make it more it would add a degree of challenge, like someone yeah. like Ricky Gates, like yeah. you know, yeah. Killian yeah. Jornet, it's casual, yeah. you know. Yeah, he's running running along behind you. You just got to pick up the base. I'd no. love to get Ricky Gates on the show. We yeah, let's get Ricky Gates on the show. Let's get Ricky Gates on the show. Liz, if he's is he still running behind you? Can you just turn around and ask him? He's on that bus. He's on the bus. He is. <sighs> hey, thanks, Liz. That was amazing. Right. On to it. Dr. Tim Day yes. is the race director of the Tarawera Ultramarathon. And 
He's a legend. He, he is. He really is. He's one of the, the... I've known him for a long time. He's one of the nicest, uh, most genuine, kindest people I've met. And we had a wonderful talk, and I'll let the conversation speak for itself. I wish you were there, bro, but um, yeah. Yeah, I was gutted to have missed out on it, and it's fascinating. And Tim, yeah, is a fascinating character. Why am I saying fascinating all the time? Well, because he is. He's really, really fascinating. He's a really interesting man, and we were delighted to to get... I was delighted to get to talk to him, so... The man, the legend. Yeah, Tim Day. Radio. All right, kia ora, everyone. I have the uh, fantastic... Uh, privilege and honour of speaking to Tim Day, who's joining us all the way from Kaharoa in the hills, halfway between Rotorua and Tauranga. Tim, how are you? Great, thanks, Matt. Nice to uh, nice to talk to you, and thanks uh, for inviting me on. Oh, it's, it's it's it's. I mean, I'll speak for Eugene. He's not here. It's 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 my pleasure. And um, I mean, we first met back at Mike Tennant's um, Fat Man's Track Half Marathon back in two thousand and thirteen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you and Steve Neary. We ran. I think. Uh, I think we uh, we ran around that loop of mics as part of his hospice fundraiser, and um, I think uh, Sarah Bliss uh, put us all to shame, and she did, uh, and <laughs> ran off into the distance, and the rest of us decided it was a good good afternoon for a chat. Yeah, no, she did. But but you and Steve Neary still had enough time to um, stop and put arrows out going up. I think it was hot cross buns. Because the, the yeah, trail was yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, think, I think that's right. Yep. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> well, I mean, gosh, things have changed in in the intervening seven years, haven't they? Oh boy, yeah. It uh, seems like uh, seems like an age ago, really. Some um, yeah, it's been an incredible uh, incredible last few years, really, in terms of uh, my experience of trail running. Yeah, I mean, so before we, I mean, for those who might be listening from overseas or perhaps uh, are from Aotearoa but have been living under a, a rock, um, I mean, you're you're the you're the race director of the Tarawera Ultra Marathon, um, and you know you've been involved in it with seven year, several years. But what was your what was your background in endurance sports, or your background in sports in general? Oh, I guess I um. <laughs> um started running around at about eighteen months old. My mum tells me, and uh, and never really stopped and um I remember my grandmother used to I used to go go and stay with my grandmother and I'd sit on her lap and she'd say you've got ants in your pants Tim you know and I'd and I'd always be um I've just always been someone who's been on the go um and I've done a lot of different things in the sporting world I've played a lot of competitive um cricket and rugby and hockey and sort of to representative level and um and did athletics right through uh, school ages, you know, and yeah. um, and, did, and did really well at those things. But I'm probably um, I'm probably more of a generalist than a specialist. You know, I get I get a bit bored if I do the same thing over and over again. So right. I, I've I've spent a lot of time playing a lot of different sports and doing a lot of things. But one of the things that's consistently uh, been in my life, my whole life, and I I can never remember not having it in my life is running. You know, I've just run around. Um, so that's been cool. Yeah, so, uh, and certainly, I mean, had you done any ultra marathons prior to becoming involved with Tarawera, or were you aware of them even? <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. trail running and there's ultra marathon running, right? There. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how do I describe myself? I'm probably more of an adventurer than I am a pure runner, you right. know. Um, and and I'm definitely a, um an adventurer away from the tarmac, you know. Um. In the hills, um, I hunt, I fish, I, um, I've done a lot of tramping and a lot of hiking, and obviously professionally I spend a lot of time um, 
in the bush anyway, which we might touch on a bit later. But yeah, um, yeah. I guess um, I guess uh, my first ultra run was actually by accident, um, <laughs> sort of. I um, uh, and and I'd I'd done quite a few trail kind of marathon distance things and lots of big missions on my own, which were non-event based missions where I'd gone well more than marathon distance, you know, big long hunts or um, you know tramps or whatever. So. I was familiar with spending a lot of time on my feet for a long period of time. Right. Uh, but but one um, rather interesting New Year's uh, Eve, uh, uh, my best mate and I were um, over one or two extra whiskeys. Probably thought, oh well, and we'd done a few events together. Thought, let's um, let's enter an event, and and we literally got online, uh, found Tatawera Ultra Marathon Year Two or Year Three. It would have been Year Two, I think. Um, and decided we'd enter the uh, the teams race, the wow. 85 teams, uh, and just do a trail marathon each because we'd both run marathons before. We're like, oh yeah, let's do let's do a marathon each on the trail, and that was that's what we did. We trained together, we went right through the process, and then about 24 hours before the event, my mate rang me and said, mate, I'm not going to be able to come. Um, <laughs> and I was like, you're what? You're not coming? And uh, and look. Uh, this is where my relationship with Paul actually began um, from Tarawera was I um, rang Paul and said, hey, Paul, this is my situation. He said, well, just do the 60K. Um, and that's what I did. So I mm-hmm. ran the 60K a day later, and that was my first, uh, that was my first ultra. Wow. <laughs> and, and was that – obviously, I mean – how did that compare to doing, you know, these sort of these big solo missions with you out in the bush? And it must have seemed in some ways, you know, comparatively not tame, but a, a whole lot more contained, hey? Yeah, so, um, yeah, events are a funny thing for me because um, I actually don't often enter, enter and participate in events as a competitor myself. I have a lot to do with events, obviously, uh, on the other side of them, but... Um, yeah, I I kind of probably create my own adventures more than I um than I go and enter an event. Um, and I really entered that event uh, because it was a chance to hang out with a really good mate of mine and right. do something. Um, so that was the motivation rather than um I need to achieve this thing on my bucket list or something like that. It really wasn't about that. It was about hey, here's some good quality time doing something that's actually pretty healthy with a real good mate, and and that's where started from um and i've done a number of events over the years done a few you know did quite a few um multi-sport and triathlon events and various forms over the years prior to that um quite a bit of a few mountain bike races and um yeah so i've so i've done a few few events but never really as a i want to compete and i want to you know i want to do really well i sort of I guess my um, my competitive stuff. I'd played, you know, played high level cricket and um, right, and um, you know, those sort of team sports and that kind of thing. And I and I participated in athletics, but yeah, the the trail running thing for me, I think, I think for me, getting into natural spaces, you know, what trail running offers is um, connection, right? Connection yeah. with nature and with people and those sort of things. And so for me, um, and this is a very personal thing, but for me spending time in nature and on those trails is not really about then racing for me, you know, cause, cause it sort of undoes what I'm there for. Yes. Ab- so, so I enter these things um, uh, and I've done a number, you know, I did UTA in Australia and I really did it for the adventure, you know, for the um, go and meet some new people and see somewhere I wouldn't have otherwise seen and, 
Um, I've been lucky in my professional career to have travelled a lot in various parts of the world, and and the first thing that always goes in my bag is a pair of running shoes and some shorts, and a, you know, um, I've explored you know trails and sort of off the beaten track all over the place um in places that most people would never even think to go running or exploring probably i mean it's a, and you're right it's such a uh amazing way traveling by your own steam in a new place you know and and because you pick up the minutiae of the place don't you you pick up the little details which kind of inform the whole yeah i think that's the i think that's the um the buzz for me, you just feel, um, it, you know, spending time, uh, particularly by yourself, you know, and and in a non-organised event sense, that's often spend a lot of time doing that. You, um, you become very connected and and you become quite realistic about where you fit in the big scheme of things. Right. Yes. Which is which is kind of cool, actually. You realise that you're just this one little organism in amongst a whole lot of other organisms that all have to um, live together. You know. Yeah, there's One nothing, for, nothing like a sense of the uh, the vastness of nature and and to you know kind of highlight your impermanence, right? So what is I mean when we talked, I mean I guess a lot of people would think that you do you know Tarawera takes up all of your year and it must take up a significant chunk of it. But when we were kind of messaging back and forth, you know, you were saying you were off in the bush for a couple of weeks. What do you do professionally? Like if I could call it your day job, what is that? Yeah. Yeah, cool. So um, I, I guess, um, yeah, you're right. Tarawera does take a lot of time. Um, ironically, uh, Tarawera never, you know, even when I was spending a lot of time on the Tarawera event, it never actually represented about more than 40% of, you know, my earnings for a year. So um, I'm fortunate that I did, you know, professionally I did a PhD in animal behaviour. Um right. So I'm Dr. Tim, and yeah, I, uh, oh, sorry, I remember that um, at um, at the Cyclone Lucy um, prize giving in 2014, and you were, and Paul introduced you as Dr. Tim. Yeah, and I don't and I don't refer to myself as Dr. Tim at all, so it's quite weird when people when people do. But I um, yeah, did a PhD in animal behaviour, uh, and that was focused in um, conservation biology. So. Um, a lot to do with uh, feeding behaviour of our native birds and how we can protect them in forests and and manage the pest animals, you know, possums and rats and cats and ferrets and stoats and wallabies and all those other things we have and introduce things we have in our forests that threaten them. So mm. professionally, professionally, that's what I've done. I was a scientist at Ag Research um, in Hamilton for a number of years, and that's where I did my PhD while I was there. And um, and that's been my ticket to the world. Really, I've spent heaps of time um, on, uh, well, and, and I guess all the island nations that are um, very similar to us, you know, um, a suite of uh, native species that aren't well prepared for the invasion of people and all the things they brought with them. Um, so the Hawaiian Islands, Mauritius, Guam, the Seychelles, right. all of those kind of islands dotted around the world that um, have been hammered by the, the you know, um, arrival of people yes um, and, and the things they brought with them you know and and the effects that they'd have so um i've been lucky professionally to to travel a lot and um do a lot of research with different um animals and and now i spend a lot of time working with um community conservation groups who are good people who realize that um you know we can't rely on just our department of conservation or government to look after this place we all need to do a bit um, right 
I've spent a lot of time consulting and um, and actually physically out there doing the work with um, these community trusts to um, protect you know habitat and environments, particularly sort of um, central North Island forest environments. Um, and that's uh, Kiwi Protection Trusts and Kokako Protection Trusts and uh, those kind of things. So that involves uh, heavy packs and long days in the bush and uh, and lots of kilometres and lots of climbing up and down and you know um, and a very strong connection with those environments. Are you setting um, means of sort of uh, predator control like traps or are you like yeah, a, var- a variety of things, Matt? So um, yeah, some sometimes we're physically doing the pest control, so that might be setting traps or putting baits into bait stations. Um, but I also do quite a lot of uh, sort of the setup for projects where I'll, I'll do the species monitoring work for them. So I'll have a look at the possum and rat populations and see what they look like now and then go back, post the control that somebody else does and, and see what the outcome of that was and likewise for native species. Um, so it's a real, um, I guess it's a real uh, gauging how we're going really, you know, right. what's the health what's the health of this place look like what's there what can we do about it how do we approach it um are we making progress um uh and knowing that um you know unless we do something then it's just a slippery slope you know Um, are are we making progress yeah 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 well where we're working yes we are that's great issue the issue in new zealand um and and everywhere around the world is that um you know conservation or, or, you know, um, sustainably matters immensely to everybody, but how on earth do you fund it, you know? Um, right. So do health and education matter just as much, right? And and so does everything else. So uh, I think the Department of Conservation, for example, has effectively has funding to look after about 10% of the, the estate that they're charged with looking after, you know? Right. So, well, I, uh, I guess that's it, almost that misconception of what conservation is, eh? Because there's that inherent kind of stereotype that it's, you know, it's the birds and the bees and tree hugging and all sorts of that, but it's hard science and animal control and management and, and it's, it's, it's an existential problem. Yeah, and, um, and I'm no eco-evangelist, you know, I'm really not. I'm quite pragmatic and quite practical. Um, I'm glad. You know, <laughs> I, I, I run around on my, you know, I ride around on my motorbike and I drive a vehicle and I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of, um, I realise that people have to go about living their lives and that being environmentally conscious is not, it's not a black and white thing, you know, um, it's really about us all just trying to do a little bit better, mm. you know, that's, that's what it's about. It's, um, it's, you know, choosing not to use that disposable coffee cup or it's, or it's not choosing to use, you know, I mean, the plastic bag thing's a perfect example, right? People were feeling now feeling guilty if they use a plastic bag. Um, Absolutely. Was that, was that even a thing 12 or 24 months ago? No, it wasn't. Um, and that doesn't mean we don't have a massive issue with plastic still and that kind of thing. But, hey, it's, you know, if we're doing better than we used to do, then we're making some progress. So, And, I, I um, mean, it is. It's those little incremental changes. Like I recently uh, was given a keep cup and uh or it's a thermos actually and i carry this thing with me pretty much goes everywhere i do and reflecting on how much how i mean and i drink a lot of coffee uh but <laughs> probably too much but how many cups yeah. of coffee that you'd, you'd buy or, or what have you um and that resource it, and i'm just one person it, it does kind of add up doesn't it yeah it does it really does and and i guess that's um look i, I guess in recent years, I've, I'm doing. I'm probably doing a bit less 
running around um, trail running uh, and spending a lot more of that time and that energy um, putting back into our world and our environment. That's kind of where I'm have headed a bit. So, you know, when you're training for an ultra run, it's nothing to spend, you know, 10 or 12 hours a week training. Um, and, and I've just actively chosen to invest um, most of that time, actually, and, and actually a lot more than just that time, um, and putting that sort of physical well-being, you know, physical ability to get out there and do it to a diff- slightly different use, which is right. not training to, you know, perform in an event. It's, it's actually using that physical ability to go and make a difference, in, you know, to our environment, which is wow. kind of cool. Yeah, that that's a really that's a how how civically minded of you and 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 beneficial for probably you as much as uh, yeah you know, the, the fauna that you're saving. I think it's actually kind of selfish in a way, you know. Like I think, um, and running's probably you know the, the, people probably feel a bit guilty about how much running they do, especially if they get the bug for trial running and ultra running where they want to spend more and more time doing it, and it's pretty addictive. Um, I think it's quite easy to feel a bit guilty about how much time you spend doing that. Um, and I almost, it's a weird thing, I almost feel guilty how much time I spend going out there um, and, and I'm contracted and paid to do this work, but I feel like I'm cheating somehow that I, right. get, to, um, I get to go and do this. You know, I don't, I don't feel like I get up in the morning and I have to go to work. Right. I feel like I, feel like I get to go to work, you know. Right, it's like, a, wow, I get to do this today. Um, that's a really good problem to have. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is, and I and I just I just feel like there's this I I sort of in my head I have this catchphrase you know I'm kind of blending recreation with conservation you know I'm I'm um, I've always recreated in these natural spaces and now I'm kind of blending that desire to be there and and I know personally the huge benefit that I get out of spending time in natural places and I'm I'm sure a lot of your listeners and a lot of people who've spend any time in natural places they they realize that but you can't what you can't really measure it but you feel better right well I, I mean I think about you know I've been reflecting on what you've been saying and I wish that I'd started uh, my foray into uh, doing ultra marathons with your mindset of it's just about hanging out with your friends and, and actually having a good time rather than <laughs> you know I don't know what I was chasing but I that's that sense of like what allows me to do my inside job is being outside. So yeah. if I'm at, if I'm outside, I look at, and it is like a seesaw. If I'm outside enough during the week, I can go inside and do my job. If I'm not outside enough, my inside job becomes very difficult, and it, it really starts to bite down on me. And and I think a massive proportion of the people I know and people in our modern society. Um, choose or have to live in that way you know they do it they have to spend a fair chunk of their time to make to make life work they have to spend a fair chunk of time doing stuff that may be rewarding but it's actually quite difficult you know mm. um, and that's and and you've got to you can't actually do that without balancing it out somehow so I was exactly the same when I was doing a lot of ultra run distance running a lot of the time um, it was really balancing out exactly what you've just described you know I had a um a job which had a lot of pressure around it and a lot of things and I just needed that um I needed that release you know and, and that yeah almost almost I had some extreme work situations and therefore I needed some extreme recreational situations to feel like it'll work I understand yeah <laughs> it is very much that balance so what's I mean how can the trial and ultra running community sort of 
meaningly uh, contribute to conservation? I mean, what's I mean, you've talked about like you know disposables and but what are some choices that they can make that would really meaningfully contribute to conservation? Oh, look, I, you know, you know, one of the most meaningful things that um, a, a trail runner or someone who's familiar with being outdoors and on the trails could do is actually give up one or two of their long runs a year and um, and go and volunteer at a dock work day or uh. or go actually actually go and physically do some stuff because what what you find, Matt, a lot is that these community groups and conservation trusts and things, um, quite understandably, are filled with retirees um you know who've got some time on their hands they're not you know they're not young families running around busily with three or four scrambling kids and rushing to sports practices and school and all those various things you know people with time on their hands um and they tend to be older and tend to be physically less able right so they can they can organize things really really well um they've got years and years of experience and realization that that the only way that the places they care about are going to be looked after as if they do something. So they're, the, they're awesome people to have on community groups and community trusts or helping or volunteering with the Department of Conservation or whatever, but physically they're only so capable. Right. Um, so so there's a real gap between the desire to look after things and, and the physical ability to do so. Right. Um, so I, I look at anyone who's training for an ultra run, uh, if they gave up, one or two of their long runs a year and went and did two or three days you know it could be it could be very simple things it could be via your local dock office offering to clear some tracks which you right. also benefit from running on you know probably a, no i mean that's um, a bus driver's holiday isn't it yeah yeah it's like there's it's actually not hard it's actually not hard to do but um i'd have to say it's hard to potentially access those opportunities if you don't know where to start right and that's something i've been thinking about a lot and i don't i don't have a perfect answer for that um you kind of um i think there is that you, you mentioned before that kind of um there's that eco warrior kind of oh these greenies happy clappy just want to do this stuff it's, a, it's sort of a bit off putting kind of thought process there for some people because they're like oh i, I might be perceived as i'm not actually doing good enough right and they might to do they might want to do something but they're not the eco evangelist, you know, and right. And, um, so, so uh, my experience would have been with any of these groups that they will open their arms widely, and you know, someone can give five minutes help. That's dope, you know. Absolutely. It really, it really is. Let alone, um, let alone being able to meaningfully do something, and it's something I'm thinking about. And we've obviously done it with our Tatawera eventers. Um, voluntarily, we look after a huge proportion of the Department of Conservation tracks. Yeah. Um, you know, we get out there with our bands of 50 trail clearers and we clear those tracks and climate conservation simply doesn't have the budget to do it and it's not high enough priority for them. They're worried about threatened species, not about whether there's branches or trees across, you know, remote walking tracks. Right, yeah. Well, I um, guess there's only so much, so many slices you can cut out of that pie, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. So that's that's a really good example of um, People being able to get get out there and benefit the whole community. Anyone who wants to walk on those tracks um, benefits from that. They don't have to be a participate, you know, participant in our events. Hmm. Um, uh, and those tracks, of course, are what the Department of Conservation used to access to do their bird monitoring or their species work or whatever as well. So they get the direct benefit as well. So there's some real easy wins there. And 
And with a bit of creativity, there's obviously an opportunity to go and experience a whole lot of places you've never been before. So if you if you enjoy trail running because you like to explore, then there's that opportunity that comes with it. That's right. And and it's also connection. It's connection to the land, you know, the whenua, all that stuff. And, I mean, if you look at it from a, you know, even people saying, well, what about my long run? I mean, two long runs a year, that's going to affect 0.000% of your fitness. You're going to get an engaging day. You're actually going to probably feel psychologically better about yourself. So I can't see any kind of impediment to that at all. Well, well, I can tell you, I've, I've just actually just before you called, I was downloading my GPS of the work I've done and, and um the last month, I was just looking at the stats, and the last month I've done 380-odd kilometres um, <laughs> in the bush and um, and a little little under 20,000 metres of climbing and descending. You know, so That's a good month. I'm, I'm, I'm probably a big diesel engine now. I'm not, I'm not going to be a racehorse, but boy, oh, boy, you know, I'm getting six to eight to 12 hours a day of it on any day that I go out there of really good, long, slow endurance stuff. We actually get to appreciate the environment I'm in. I'm not mm. racing. I'm, I'm considering it as I move through it, as you said earlier. And, um, and in terms of health and well-being, boy, I'm fit and I'm strong and I'm, you know. Um, and and, and you're feeling how, I mean, I understand, you know, you were quite open a couple of years ago. You had a few cardiac issues. Things good? Yeah, oh yeah. So I had a um, uh, it was an acute viral chest infection around my right. heart. I was, at, and which only presented itself was at the Northburn hundred mile race. Actually, um, Terry's wonderful race, and uh, that's some unfinished business there because I never yeah. got to, <laughs> I never I never got to finish it. Um, and I just I had this weird chest infection. I didn't even know I had it. Um, and I'd done a my last long training run had been a seventy k run overnight to get myself ready for the miler. And it just happened to be pouring with rain that night. I was out in the wet and the cold the whole night. Right. And and I'd written on my hand, not back till dawn. That's all I'd written on my hand, not back till dawn. So I just stayed out there all night in the rain and the wet and the cold. And I must have got a bit of a chest infection out of the whole thing. Didn't even know I had it until I got about 50 or 60K into that event and my heart wasn't doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah, pericarditis or something like that. Yeah, viral pericarditis. Anyway, the, the good news, I spent three days in the cardiac ward in Dunedin and they tested everything. And in actual fact, in the end, they got all their cardiologists in because they said they never get a healthy heart to work with. That's right. <laughs> they ran all these dyes and they, they just they, they did every test they possibly could, actually, because they were actually able to look at, you know, so the, the upshot of it was my heart was slightly enlarged, which is typical of an endurance athlete. Um but other than that, every valve, every artery was perfect. They said you're not dying of a heart attack. You're never Tickety going. Boo. Yeah. So that was so it was actually it was actually quite cool to to get that news, but actually very disconcerting at the, at the time when it happened. And and for about twelve months afterwards, I was a little bit um, hesitant to go on those solo missions myself. You know. Yeah. Um, well, I felt well. I felt really quite good. I was very precautionary around it. You know, it gave me a bit of a Maybe a bit of a scare. I was like, I've always been bulletproof, and then this thing had happened, and it it was just an acute thing, and there's been no lingering thing that went with it. But it also it probably um, was a bit of a turning point for me in going, well, while I'm why am I running around a lot in a long way um, without purpose? You know, why, yeah. you know, I want to do this stuff. Maybe I should put a bit more purpose to it, and yeah. I and I proactively decided to spend more of my more of my in it, physical energy. 
uh, in the um, in that sort of conservation space as a result. Wow. And I guess it's that thing too, isn't it? When you're kind of, like you said, young and bulletproof, and and, and very, you know, you're playing sport to a high level. You're doing your PhD. You are literally young and bulletproof. Um, you know, you've got your, you've also got your, you, you know, your beautiful girls to consider as well. And and I so guess it's that it's that thing, isn't it? You, going over hill and dale don't mean nothing if you don't have anyone to come back to. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's exactly the case. Um, so yeah, I've, still, I've still got I've still got aspirations to, and I'm still I still run. And um, I go for a run when I feel like it. Obviously, this last month I haven't needed to run much with the no. time I've spent in the hills. But yeah, you know, I've been for a few runs on days where I haven't been working. I've gone, oh, I'll just go and run, you know, five or eight or ten, whatever, you know, just go out and just actually, I feel like I'm flying when I do because I've got no pack on and no I was going to say, yeah, I'm in my bare feet or I'm or I'm or I'm in a light pair of shoes and. And I, I actually literally feel like I'm flying. I often often end up running down a hill with my arms out, going "Wee!" You know, just 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 sheer joy. You know, that just ability to move and appreciating that I can move and um, through these places and enjoy it. You know, um, but I've, yeah, I've got a few I've got a few goals in the next uh, in the next year or two of things I want to chip off from a running perspective. Um, oh, and I'll do, I'll do that off the back of uh, off the back of a lot of this conservation training. For want of a better word, you know. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, twenty thousand meters in a month—that's nothing to sneeze at. No, no, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm sitting down tonight. Okay, yeah. and, I'll be, <laughs> and I'll be out there again tomorrow and and Friday and probably over the weekend. You know, it's 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 pretty uh, full on stuff. Nice one. So, I mean, you came on board. I mean, and I guess now we'll get into the the not the nitty gritty, but talk about Tarawera and the process and the changes around that. You came on board, you know, 2014, you were the volunteer uh, coordinator. Yep. That was your role. And, you know, famously, um, Cyclone Lucy came in and ruined everyone's uh, evening, most of probably you guys, you know, the the organisers and and you. And it was Kerry Suter, Matt Bixley, was Chris Thornley or went for a... Yeah, Sorry? yeah. So, 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 yeah. It when was a, re-ran the course or rerouted the course. Yeah, so it was a really interesting. Uh, it was a really interesting experience actually, because I'd um, I'd obviously participated in the event two or three times before that, and um, and I'd helped out, volunteered. You know, I'd been just down the road from Paul, so I'd helped out with a bunch of stuff in the year or two before that, and then took over as the volunteer coordinator. And um, I was actually entered to run the hundred k that year. And um, and then Paul put out a bit of a cry for help, saying, "Oh, I really need someone to organise the volunteers." The event had just got too big; it wasn't, you know, twenty family and friends. As no. Well. <laughs> you know, I look at now. You know, I think this year we had seven hundred and twenty-three volunteers and one hundred and fifty staff and contractors. Wow. You know, it's a big, it's a big thing now. You know, it's a, it's a whole thing. But um, yeah, so we're we're back there in two thousand and fourteen, and um. And I hadn't really had too much to do with the event from an operational perspective, you know, delivery perspective, but my day job was managing big. Yeah, so so Cyclone Lucy was uh, bearing down on the event and um, Paul set, just asked me to come along to the, the medical meetings and, and planning meetings. Uh, he was gravely concerned that the event would be cancelled and, and he said to me, well, you know, I know you know the forest better than anyone and, and um, you know, I hate to have this thing sort of, cancelled on, we've got people coming from overseas and all that kind of thing. So I went along to those meetings and there was a real strong sense that uh, the event was going to be cancelled and that weekend there were just about every other event was cancelled around the country. Um, and, and I sat there and, and there was a 
you know, our medical team, there was just a, oh, we feel a bit uneasy about this. And and um, I, and I just sort of said, well, what are the risks? You know, what what is it? Is it rain? Is it wind? Is it, is it you know, swell on the lakes? You know, what, what are the factors that are actually going to stop us? And, and based around what those risk factors were, I just banged together a, an alternative course. And that was the Cyclone Lucy year, which ended up, you know, having an 87K, 100K race. And a and the 87K stayed the same. And it was a year at 8.30 that night, uh, Matt Bixley and Gary Cedar and myself disappeared out into the forest and remarked that course. And um, and at 6 o'clock the next morning, everyone rocked on up and we delivered it, which was really cool. It was. I, 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 I did that that year. It was. It was. It was an amazing... Uh... It's an amazing achievement in the face of, <laughs> you know, and I, I think that's that thing, isn't it? People don't understand, like, it, it, I understand it did have to do a lot with the swell on the lake. Like, people, if someone had, say, if I'd fallen and, you know, broken my pelvis and was carried to Humphreys Bay, what they were saying is they couldn't actually get a boat to Humphreys Bay to extricate Yeah, so it was an 85 knot, you know, 130 kilometre an hour wind forecast. Uh, wow. Which actually- which actually eventuated, so that's a metre and a half to two metre wind swell on the lake. Tarawera's a big lake, eh? It's a big body. It's a big, body big lake. And, um, and that's just ugly. So so we're in a situation where we used, uh, in those days we used a number of volunteer boats um, and the backup of a couple of com- little commercial boats that are on the lake and the Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard said to us, we're happy to go out. We'll go out on the lake in any conditions and we'll rescue people and that sort of thing. But we're, ultimately, we just were not going to have the ability, as you say, to rescue people in a timely fashion and in wind and rain, strong risk of hypothermia. And, you know, last thing you want to do is hurt anybody. Um, so that that was the decision that we could run people a couple of kilometres down um, the eastern Okataina track from the Okataina aid station Um because that was as far as we could comfortably stretch a beer them in a manageable time and then turn mm-hmm. them around. Um, and, and fortunately, the, the really bad wind forecast was not until late in the evening. So I just planned the course that every single person would be finished by dark, um, which was about 8 p.m. Uh, and, uh, and that meant that everyone was going to be off the course before any risk of you know branches breaking and trees falling over and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that night, about 10.30 or 11 p.m. Uh, on Furman Field in Carrow, which was the old finish line, there were two great big oaks that fell on the field, you know. Wow. Um, so, you know, it was it was a real event. Um, and and we assessed the risks. We found out what the issues were and um, and we were able to mitigate them, which was really cool. Um, so it was a bit of a that was there. Yeah, that was my first experience of uh, <laughs> organising an event. And so, I mean, and and we, you know, and and Nick, you know, the next year you took over the race directing because uh, Paul uh, Chartres he he ran the event himself. And now, I guess we fast forward to you know 2020. You're looking at you've got 200 uh, people already for the hundred mile. I, I, I lost count of how many people yeah. you got for the 102k already. It's grown into a a, a massive global race. You've had a change of ownership. There's about. Yeah, just under two thousand people involved in the event next year already. You know, wow. months out. From, um, and as you say, the the hundred mile race has got you know two hundred and twelve or fifteen now in it. You know, and and growing every day. That's a, which, that's a huge amount of people for a you know it's in its third year. Yeah, and um, and if you think about the original evolution at Tatawiri, you know, Paul had sixty seven people in the first year, yes. and then a hundred. <laughs> And then 140, and then 248, or something, you know. And then, and then, and then we started to change the game beyond there, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's been a really cool, um, 
evolution. And and the one thing that struck me when I became involved in the event, Paul was able to very clearly communicate his vision for what he wanted the event to be, which was always he wanted to be one of the biggest and most well-respected events on the world trail running circuit. Yeah. Oh, he talked about... Always. He said it to me thinking about like think about Western States but in a UTMB festival format. Yeah, yeah. So so he'd been exposed to these cool things previously. He wanted to bring that home and and um and he was helping on doing it and and to his credit what he realized fairly early on in the piece and was where I became involved was that while he had the vision for it, he didn't necessarily have yeah, you know, he wasn't going to be able to do the whole thing himself. He needed different skills around them to help you know to help actually turn that vision into a reality so of course um you know paul i guess i guess you know paul and i would joke about it you know he he'd read the dream he'd dream the dream and i'd make it happen you know yeah quite, right <laughs> it's kind of the way that uh it rolled and obviously he did a lot of making it happen and i did a lot of dreaming as well you know so it wasn't wasn't quite that polar but um but yeah it was uh yeah what a what an amazing you know Man, I'm thankful that Paul gave me the opportunity to be involved. You know, yeah. I mean, I never, well, you, I never intended to. You know, as I said, I accidentally did his 60k ultra <laughs> instead of instead of a team thing, and and got a bit of the bug, and and uh, and really engaged with and enjoyed the community the same way as so many other people have. Um, so that that got me hooked. Um, and then, you know, Paul's such a lovely guy, and you could just see he desperately needed some help, and I was. Sort of, I just happened to be Johnny on the spot, really, in terms of being able to give him that help. Yeah, and I don't think until you actually sit down and talk to Paul about it, and I've had the, you know, I've had the privilege of doing that. He was the first guest ever on Dirt Church Radio, and I spoke to him when I was working for Kiwi Trail Runner. Um, you know, just the, he was in the, he wasn't. I mean, it was all-consuming for many, many years of his life. You know, and he was pouring his personal money into it, and it was, it was really a, a labour of love. I said to I said to him early on on the piece. I said, "This is the most expensive golf club membership I've ever seen." <laughs> Literally, he was subsidising people to go and have fun. Really yeah. subsidising them. You know, if he if he hadn't had his salary to underwrite the event for the first three or four years, I mean, it didn't. He, he was he was literally giving people ridiculously discounted entries. Really, in terms yeah, of yeah, right. Doing the thing where you know, and and um, and that's part of his charm. You know, his generosity and, and desire to give people the cool experience, you know. And, I mean, with now Paul, I mean, he's he's at a different stage of life to to you and I. He's got a, a young family. Well, we, you, we've both got young families, but he's got a really young family. And uh, he's yeah. away travelling. Is he going to be back for next year or are you going to take the reins yeah. solo this time? Or? Uh, so, I don't know. So, uh, Paul and I are both involved in Tatawera going forward. And, and obviously... Um, well, we copped some flack about selling Tarawera. It was uh, it was amazing. There were some people who were really personally aggrieved, and um, and I kind of get it because Tarawera is very important to a lot of people, right? Um, uh, <laughs> but 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 look, we just came to the conclusion, Paul and I, that uh, for Paul's vision or our vision for where we wanted it to go to be fully realised, it had to go beyond just he and I. You know, a couple of Rotorua lads bashing away, you know. As best we could, it really needed that extra expertise and grunt, um, and uh, and so we we worked through a really comprehensive process, and it became obvious that we just needed to find the right partner to do that, um, and ultimately it ended up being Ironman buying the event. So it was never an endpoint we'd kind of even thought of until we went through the process. 
Um, and I've got to say, we're both thrilled about it now. Because, oh well, as you said, look at the miler; it's now got over two hundred entrants. The, yeah, the thing's yeah, gonna, yeah. Um, it's going to be able to to um, to truly deliver at the level that we wanted it to. Um, right. And 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 for us, that was always going to be hard, you know. There's a big budget of the cover letter events, and it was, you know, two little guys managing that and, you know, exposing, as you say, exposing your young families to that potential risk if the event doesn't go well or all that kind of thing. It was yeah. a, quite a big deal. Um, and there's, a, there's some really cool things that uh, the likes of an Ironman can do that um, that we never could, you know. And uh, what's a couple of examples? First example would be, you know, immediately the Ironman would be able to relax the um, refund and transfer policies, you know? Right. And Paul and I could never afford to do it. We would love to have been as generous as we could about that, but um, literally a week before the event one year, Paul gave back $20,000 in entry fees, and oh he'd only probably, probably only taken $40,000 in entry fees, you know? Right. And, 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 and he made a 20K loss. You know, it was kind of, it was that kind of stuff. We just were in a position where we went, shit, we actually can't. We actually have to be kind of harsh when we don't, which wasn't in our nature to want to be, but that was the reality of delivering the thing. And we're like, well, actually, we have to be better than that, you know. Well, I guess it's that thing, and 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 you're right. It's that pragmatic kind of like. Tarawera absolutely holds a very special place in a lot of people's hearts, and it's funny for such a you know a hundred k event. It's almost it's it's a lot of people's gateway drug almost into trail running. You know, or into ultra marathon running. It's always but, been designed to be the big easy or the big the big friendly. You know, the big friendly really. You know, real over the top aid stations, really friendly volunteers, friendly courses. You know, they're they're yeah. real trails, but they're not hard trails. They're, they're honest, and you'll know that you've done the event. Yeah, the yeah. But but you know, Paul's a- attitude and approach was always that. The distance is enough. You know, the distance is hard enough without needing to. But he really wanted anybody who wanted to to be able to come and participate. And, of course, as the event's grown, we've been able to fund more volunteers and more medics and things, which means we've been able to relax cutoff times, which means now walkers can do the event. In the first few years, you had to be a runner to get through the cutoff, you know, which was all about how much staff time we could afford, really. You know, that's what dictated the cutoffs. Yeah, but at the, at the same time as well, you guys have got to eat, and you've got like that's the thing. It's like, I mean, you know, this might oh, yeah. sound it might sound funny, but if I don't know if I may want to buy a podcast, I'd be up, for, <laughs> I'd be up for that. Um, you know, it's the natural progression, isn't it? Yeah, oh, it's it's awesome to, um, and, and it's really funny because in the full life cycle of our involvement in the event, you know, we've probably broken even actually (laughs) a lot of forward investment and we've got some of that forward investment back and handing it over to i and the cool thing is of course that we get to be involved and continue to be involved so obviously contracted as the race director and and paul will continue to really champion the the community and the group and uh you know he he, i mean he is the event founder and the ambassador and he will always be respected as that and for that and and what he's what he's going to be able to do is go and really enjoy the event and the pure coolness of trail running and the trail runners and the trail running community without actually having to worry too much about the delivery or the budget or the data, you know, the, the mechanics of actually The infrastructure making, of it. Which is really cool. Well, I'm, I'm stoked on that. And so what were people so exercised about? Was it that sense that it was their ultra or what? why did you cop so much flack? 
Oh, yeah, look, it wasn't wide. There was only a few people that really did it, but I think, but uh, I, I just think, I just think there's a, um, it's probably a cultural thing here, you know, there's kind of a bit of a, there's a bit of our tall poppy. Tall poppy, thing. yeah. There's also, you know, um, there is a strong vein of um, events should never be commercial and events right. should not, you know, you know, they, you know, you should give your time to deliver events, and you should. And, you should. and boy, oh boy, oh, and I, I, I chuckle at the idea that an event shouldn't be commercial. You know, you've just—it's uh, like anything; it doesn't succeed unless uh, unless it's able to pay its way, really. So, um, yeah, well, we we got quite criticised over you know the fact that we went down the commercial line with the event, and it was the only option we had if we were going to realise the vision for it. So. Um, yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing in people's mindset that you should just give your time to um, to events because that's how you do it. <laughs> you should just give your time to what it is is you should just give your time to me, which I don't yeah. quite understand. Yeah, and um, hey, look, it's I know this happens everywhere. I, I, there's lots of people who would say you no one should ever make any money out of conservation. You should give your time to conservation too, or to any of the other things that you're involved in, but it's um, the reality is uh, unless events make money um, in a commercial sense, then they're not going to last very long unless they are truly a community event run by a community of volunteers yes. with no one being paid. Um, so it's kind of, um, there's no middle ground really. It's either there's not. A proper, it's, it's a proper commercial business or it's not a business at all. It's a hobby. Um, and, and Tarawera was definitely a hobby in the early years. To realise the vision of it, we realised that we had to apply a commercial model to it and um, and make some investment in order for that to happen, which is what we did. And we've got it across that line, and it's now a commercial thing. And and obviously now Ironman um, have taken that on, and we'll take that to to you know new places and and amazing places because of their ability to invest. You know, I mean, I was just wondering with the Ironman, you know. I know with the structure of their other their other races, they someone who runs triathlons was telling me they they put in like a they've almost got an instalment plan um, to break down some of the the costs of these races because they are expensive. You know, like you said, if you've got a thousand people behind the scenes or volunteering, you know, all those costs add up. Is there any plans to do anything like that with Tarawera? Yeah, I think um, I think any of uh, well, what what Ironman does is because they're a big global company with. 300 events or whatever they've got the ability to um be much more generous and in, in the way that they um allow people to to participate in events so you know the most obvious example of that immediately was that you can now transfer your entry from one year to the next if you get into oh, it fantastic and we could we could never afford to do that Paul and i because it was like shit that's a big risk for us to you know you in an in a long distance ultra marathon 100 mile you can get a third of the field who wanted a third of next year you know right yeah yeah are you going to carry that how's that going to work um for ironman it doesn't matter so much they're able to they're able to absorb that you know annually throughout the big picture so that any one event can then you know is okay um so there's some huge benefits. So you can now get, um, you know, there's a transfer policy. You can you can defer to the following year. Um, I, I've just actually literally just uh, last night was working through, you know, the the resourcing of the um, 
the finish aid station for people in the you know the sort of recovery area where they're finished and you know there'll, there'll be fully catered meals available for the athletes when they finish as opposed to some fruit and a drink you know yeah um, and, those, and those are just uh their ability to host because of of the sort of the capital base that they're trading from and the and the team they have around them and all that sort of thing so vastly different to a couple of little like to live in Rotorua, <laughs> so, but, so that that makes me really excited. Um, and and the other part to that is that they they didn't uh, acquire Talawera with the desire to change it. They right. really want to enhance what's there. Um, um, in the ways like like the examples I've just given. Um, and they haven't they haven't done a single thing um planning for twenty twenty without asking Paul and I. You know. Wow. Um, which is really cool. I mean, we're, it's not ours. We don't own it anymore. Um, but they've been extreme. Oh, they've just been wonderful to work with in terms of extremely respectful and and um, of of the history of the event, um, of the all the stakeholders involved. You know, our iwi, our landowners, mm. our involved, all that sort of thing. Um, and they'll be able to look after the volunteers better than we could. They'll be able, to, you know, all of those sort of things, which is really cool because. You know the, the the little bits that Paul and I were never quite able to do because of the financial reality of delivering a big event like that. Um, they were real points of frustration for us because we wanted, you know, we always wanted to do that little bit better, and you you just simply can't, you know. Uh, so oh, that's so that, I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Eugene said that I could disclose this. He's running the hundred miler uh, next year. His name's down on the list, so. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting down there and, and crewing for him. And, um, yeah, I can't wait to get down and, you know, uh, like just soak it up because it is, uh, it's, it's a real weekend, isn't it? It's a, it's, it's that sort of all encompassing kind of, uh, vibe of the race and the, the participants and the, the land and everything. It just sort of comes wonderfully together. Yeah. It's, I think it's, I think it's just, um, it's a great meeting ground for people from all around, um, all around the, our local and New Zealand trail running community, but internationally as well. It's a, um, it's a pretty relaxed vibe. It's a big thing to be part of um, without being over the top big. Um, uh, but it's a great excuse. You don't have to be running to turn up, you know. And that's, no. that's one of the case. You know, we we have probably three times as many people turn up who aren't running as are actually running at the event every year. Um, and it's really just that kind of chance to get together, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, and how is the – sorry. No, I was right. going to ask about uh, the elite entries and, and sort of with Ironman being involved, is there more, I guess, outreach or ability to attract elite runners? Um, that's going to be really interesting uh, to see. We've certainly got um, – yeah, we've got a, we've, our elite programs um, – you know, growing every year, and um, and we've obviously something we've uh, deliberately invested in over the years, which is why our kind of our um, Tatawera race elite race field has probably punched above its weight. You know, for the, for oh. the uh, it's been holy smoke. You know, we've had the very best runners in Absolutely. the world Absolutely. Um, come and run our event, and we've prided ourselves on that, and we've invested in it. We've we've put good dollars towards it, and that's part of us. Um, Helping to grow the sport, but it's also part of honouring our um, our commitment to make it a real proper, true international event and give Joe Average Kiwi Trail Runner the chance to rub shoulders with you know those people. Um, we're just fortunate that we're in a sport where where the the elite athletes are some of the most humble, gracious, 
thankful people that you could um that you could deal with. I mean, to a to a fault almost, you know, they're they're very absolutely very undemanding and and just wonderful people to have along. So we've you know we're lucky, we're really lucky in that regard. Um, so yes, I'm in, I'm in a you know really um you know we we've got quite an elite athlete program we're driving at the moment and we've got some really cool sign ups already which I can't reveal but um. Oh, I wouldn't ask you to, sir. No, but we've got some. Um, yeah, we. I think our our elite field will continue to grow. And I think it would, I guess what Ironman might do is see some crossover from some of their other disciplines um, a bit mm. more. You know, some very high end um, Ironman triathlete sort of type people that might come across to the trail. Have a nudge. Well, yeah. yeah, I think there'll be a few of those that'll come across that were otherwise. Might have stayed in lycra and skinny wheels, you know. Um, so that'll be cool. That'll be that'll be uh, that'll be neat to have a few of them come and toe the line. Um, and it's funny, I don't know, I don't know, Matt, in your experience, if you ever ran with anyone who'd done Ironman um, a few times, and they'd and they'd come to the Tullamore Ultra, you'd be running with them, and you get to about sixty or eighty k into the run, like, oh, this is actually hard, isn't it? <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, I think I think there's actually, you know, it's probably quite well known that running a hundred k's pretty hard you know by comparison to doing an Ironman for example where you at least get some buoyancy and some bike to support you along the way some time to sit down um has there been a um has there been a moment for you over the time that you've been involved in uh with Tarawera that's really stuck out for you as being particularly special I mean I'm sure there's thousands and thousands but is there any one Oh, I think I think it'd be an all-encompassing one, and that's um, for me. My life's been greatly enriched by the the friendships that I've developed, and that's with that's with runners, um, but it's with people that I otherwise may never have had the opportunity to develop friendships. It's with the co-martyr of some of our really um, our local iwi, for example, yeah. and the event has been the excuse to to want and to need to go and relationships with some of those people um right and out of that my understanding of the history of our culture and our environment has been greatly enhanced through the event um and i've got some really great friendships with some of those, some very wise knowledgeable um people who are who consider themselves simply temporary guardians of the lands on which we run through um so so for me you know whether it's whether it's some of the cool athletes who've come year on year and I've formed relationships with them, watched their progress as they've been ultra runners or, or it's the volunteers who just turn up endlessly and give and give and give and wouldn't, wouldn't ever dream of taking, you know, um, that's special, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's really neat, you know? Um, and, and I guess, I guess the overriding thing out of it is weird, you know, we appreciate all those people, but we know that what we've created for people is appreciated too. You know, we can see that we've made a difference for people. We've changed, we've changed lives. You know, it's cool. Yeah, you really. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now without Tarawera. You know, I can, I can say yeah. that demonstrably. Yeah. yeah, it's cool. It's so that's uh, that's quite a, it's quite um, yeah. We just every now and then we get a message from someone, and in fact, I had one very recently. One of uh, our hundred mile finishers from this year. Lost her Toki, her um, oh, wow. Toki, um, and about six weeks after losing it, she finally made contact. I didn't know that she'd lost it, and she made contact, and um, 
absolutely distraught. The poor thing oh, hadn't yeah. hadn't taken it off basically since finishing the thing. I think I think achievement of the miler was um, a very big deal for her. Mm. You know, it was it was timely and it was needed at that time. And then and then so she had the symbol of that achievement, you know, um, and she lost it. Um, so boy oh boy. Anyway, she just literally about three weeks ago she. She came to home and I'd arranged with um, the carvers who make those toki to get her another one. So oh wow, came and we just we just gifted her another toki and I, I stood on the deck of my cabin with her, looking my, my cabin looks out over those Tarawera hills and things, and um, we stood on the deck. I'm getting bloody tear in my um, yeah yes, yeah, so we, we, we stood on there. I gave a massive hug and um, and it was just a really neat moment. You know, it was like the Mountain Jade, who um, who are the company that make the toki with their their local carvers and things, they were instantly like, "We'll give you another toki." You know, this is wow. this is yeah. too important. And 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 obviously, I was just going to go and get her one and give it to her personally myself anyway because I could just see what this whole thing meant. Um, and it was just really neat. It just it was just one example. I've had about hundreds of those examples, I guess, over the years I've been involved now, where. Um, People have been able to cling on to this event and this thing, and 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 it's done good for them. You know, it's really done good for them, which is cool. Really and I guess cool. it, it it it's the same theme as when you started running the event. It's what you've talked about is, is the friendships and the relationships, and and you you started training for the Tarawera eighty five. You know, you were going to do a marathon with your mate, and he couldn't yep. do it, so you you did it. You made some friends. It's yep. amazing, Tim. Look. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I mean, I understand that your time is precious and you're probably going to be starting to ramp up over the next couple of months into the uh, whirlwind of February. But yeah, before yeah. I... Uh, we're, we're busy uh, recruiting our 800 <laughs> volunteers this year. And wow. <laughs> everything else that goes with it. No, it's awesome. We've got such a cool team. And um, look, the the cool thing is, that, you know, the, the New Zealand Ironman team, it's 12 people and they're all passionate adventures you know they yep. they love events they're just good hard case out there getting stuck in people who just want to do the very best thing by the event so there's this corporate that kind of lies over that but actually we're just dealing with really cool people you know you're an eventer you know what it takes to put an event together Matt it's yeah it's a lot of hard work and you you, lean, you lean fairly heavily on on your key people and and slightly less heavily on a whole lot of others um <laughs> So, so it's a yeah, it's a massive thing, but um, it feels like a, it's it's a pretty well-oiled machine now, and um, and that um, you can't let rest on your laurels in that regard. But that yeah, we've got the opportunity to really it'll it'll step up a whole another level again for 2020. It's going to be a very exciting event to be part of. I'm I'm genuinely excited. Um, so before I let you go. I'm going to ask you that question. We talked about. I gave you some. I was kind. I gave you some prep time <laughs> over the time. Hey, uh, Tim Day, what's been your greatest run ever? Oh, my greatest run, man. I've had some good runs in my life. I tell you, um, <laughs> there are. The, I can't pick one. There's three. I reckon. Okay. And, you can, you and can have three. Uh, the first, the first of those, um, which was actually one of the most recent ones, was uh, my wife Kylie and I uh, went around Mount Ruapehu. Wow. So she's done a 
was never much a runner, but was a very good netballer. And um, but she sort of like like everyone around us has got absorbed into this trail running scene, got a bit of the bug, done a couple of 50k's. Anyway, I just said to her one day, we're going to go for yeah, I'm going to I'm going to get rid of the kids and we're going to head off on a bit of a you know a date. And um, so I took her to Rupay and we arrived at the chateau at about uh, midday and uh, chucked some gear on and went round the mountain. The 73 k arrived back at dawn the next morning. So uh, that experience, what one, you know, is one of the few times since we've had kids that we've spent, you know, 16 or 17 hours together, you know, of work yep. and quality time in an amazing environment with the person I love the most. Oh, man. So cool. Um, being in the Rangapo Desert at three o'clock in the morning with a, you know, minus three degrees and wow. uh, just cool. So that was that one really stands out um, for the company. Um, and, and on a similar theme, uh, the first time I went to Waitomo to, um, to plan the courses for the Waitomo trail run, um, I took my then six-year-old Casey out of school and took her with me because uh, we were very focused on this wanting, wanting this to be a kid's run. Uh, so her and I went to Waitomo and, um, and did some exploring, um, and we had about a, a couple of kilometres of this. We did about 11 or 12 k's of exploring um she's only six years old she, but she's she just loves to run um and uh and we we had this very rocky outcrop in this big bony you know um bony area which actually the race doesn't even go through because it's too gnarly to put right <laughs> to put yeah um and and we were and she was just aiming for me to hear and she was just chat you know little kids when they're excited she was just Woo! chatting at 100 miles an hour she was so excited and she just took off and just ran down this this rocky outcrop with had three or four or five or six metre drop-offs in places on the sides, you know, and it's all limestone drop. And she just floated across the top wow. of these rocks, left little gaps, and, and I just trotted behind her, just beaming from ear to ear, and she just ran and just squealed with delight at the end of it, and I just said, oh, this is what it's all about, you know. It was obviously wicked dad and daughter time, but to see her out getting pure joy out of, being out in nature and and it was actually I think her joy was the freedom of movement you know she was just right. it was like she was flying she was just wasn't even she wasn't thinking about where she was running she was just doing it you know it was really cool so that would be that would be the second one and then and then the third one which is much more personal was um the first time I ever did the uh, the Tarawera 100k um which actually I've never done as part of the event but uh I did it overnight by myself um, about three weeks before the event, um, a couple of times actually. Um, just left at 7.30 at night and just left from Rotorua and rang Kylie and asked her to pick me up in the morning in Kaurau. <laughs> and, um, and there was something really cool about, uh, you know, 10 hours in the dark by yourself counting possums and wallabies and seeing deer and pigs and on all those trails and, and knowing at that point that you're going to be delivering the event for a thousand other people who are going to come and do it in two or three weeks' time. Um, yeah. So I found that uh, first time I ever did that and um, I didn't have my bare feet actually. I just It was just this kind of a um, – I just wanted to be really connected with the experience that I was asking other people to be part of um, and it stuck with me forever, that one. Um, and I've run in some cool places around the world but those three would be the ones. Well, that, oh, that's amazing. Look, Tim, thank you so much. Uh, it's been wonderful speaking with you. Uh, I feel like I've kind of got the whole set now. We had Paul <laughs> first, and now we've finally got a chance to speak to you. Um, 
you know, enjoy the rest of the year and I shall look forward to uh, seeing you in February, man. Likewise, same same to you and um, happy happy trials, mate, and we'll, we'll see you in February. Twenty thousand meters of vertical gain in a week. Unbelievable. That's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. What a, what a chat. Yeah, what a chat. And I loved how open he was. And I'd sort of I had put it down in the I'd put it down in the the scribbled notes. You know, oh, ask him about Iron Man. He was so open about it. He was yeah. like, Yeah, we caught so much flack over that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What a guy. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I love too that he was sitting in his hut. Out the yeah. back of his, yes, yeah, his, his replica dog hut that he yeah, made yeah. In, in the in the in the hills between Rotorua and Tauranga. So. And I love too how he called the uh, Tarawera the big friendly, mm. which is you know that's very very apt. Very apt. So very that apt. was that was cool. Hey, look, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, quickly, you know, uh, we are on all the social media networks at Dirt Church Radio. Uh, our website is dirtchurchradio.com or you can get us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, FM Player, Spotify. Spotify. We're across all the platforms and you can download direct from the website as well. And you can also check out our unabridged greatest runs ever. Also, if we're not where you want us, let us know. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us. If you like what you see, please spread the love. It would be great as of many people heard the show as possible, and for that, we need your help. Don't forget to write in with your greatest friend ever. We said that. We'd love to hear from you. Um, support the New Zealand champs going to the world yes. mountain running and world 24-hour champs. Um, thanks to our sponsors, Scott Running, Ultra Spy, Further Faster, Spring Energy, and CLE Athletics. Thanks to Kieran. Going to miss you, bro. And, uh, but I'll be here because I'll be on the podcast. Next week we've got another really great guest. We do. That we've already Amazing recorded. Guest. Yeah. Kakite. Kakite. Thanks, Rigby.